welcome back to the middle of culture. I'm one of your hosts, Eden. And I'm your other host, Peter. Hey, Peter, how you doing? You done anything fun the last couple of weeks? Um, I'm hanging in there. I continue to chip away at book six of the Wheel of Time. I have fallen down a deep, dark, death metal rabbit hole where I have a playlist that's basically just the most brutal death metal in my, uh, in my music library. And it is what I have been listening to almost exclusively lately. And other than that, uh, you know, I'm trying to think, I don't think I've really played anything. I mentioned to you before the, we, we started recording that my steam deck, um, sort of crapped its pants. And so I had to send it back and it was gone for about a week and a half until I got my replacement yesterday. And I've been installing some things on it, but have not had a chance to play anything. The only exception would be I did, uh, download and start playing hi-fi rush. And I think, Oh, that, you, you know, did. I did. Uh, so that would be something, you know, that, I'm not super far into it because I am only playing it in short spurts, but it is an interesting game so far. I love the art style. I, yeah, I think it's, it looks uh, it's beautiful like a million bucks. Uh, but other than that, I think that's kind of about it. That's all I've been up to. What about you? I'm really, I'm really curious about Hi-Fi Rush. I installed it, but then I got sidetracked with something else that I'll talk about in a minute here. Um, but I think it would, and it looks really cool. And like this, like you said, the style is just impeccable. And it's just wild to me that this is the, the studio that made evil within and evil within two, like just like greasy, grimy horror games. And then their next follow up, which was like, here's our next game. Also, it's out on game pass right now. Go play. It was like, Oh, I guess uh, Evil Within 3 is not happening. That sucks because Evil Within 2 was really good. Evil Within 1 was not that good. But Evil Within 2 was like maybe one of the best horror games I've ever played. But uh, I think I actually own it at some point. I picked it up, but I have not played it. I'm actually looking in my Steam library to see. Maybe well, it's good. It's scary as hell. But it's also really good. Um, but I have been playing... Uh, I have fallen down another Game Pass hole because I have talked in length or at length about Persona 5 Royal, the amount of time I spent playing that game. Well, guess what came out on Game Pass two weeks ago? Persona 4 <laughs> Golden I, and Persona 3 Portable. I did see that and I instantly thought of you. And uh, so I am mostly through with Persona 4 Golden right now. Um, and the thing about it is that's just the same game persona 5 is literally the same game as persona 4 it just looks ten thousand times better and a lot of the things that i hate most about persona 4 are uh are ironed out or not there in persona 5 so i definitely think persona 5 is the better game however it's also at least twice as long because i'm i think i'm pretty close to the end of persona 5 or persona 4 golden and i think i'm like 24 hours in whereas a playthrough of persona 5 was like 70 hours oh, so wow. considerably longer but 
I'm really enjoying Persona 4. I can see why people really fell for, for, for Persona 4 and why when they were making the sequel, they said, well, let's not mess with a good thing. Like, let's just make the same game again. We'll, it'll even have like a weird mascot that's there. Only, I gotta say, anyone who knows both games, Teddy, the mascot from Persona 4, I would love to throw into a wood chipper and... I hate him. I hate him so much. He's pervy. His voice actor is like the worst voice actor. Every time he shows up anyway, anything, it's a Sam Regal, who I know a lot of people like from Critical Role, and I couldn't give two shits about Critical Role, so I'm not into Sam Regal. Anytime his voice shows up in a thing, I think to myself, I will hate this character so much. And the fact of the matter is that that has proven true. Nice. Gotta so I hate Teddy. You can hate. <laughs> I hate Teddy. And you're not supposed to hate Teddy. And to be fair, like okay. I say, in Persona in Persona Five, they fixed it because your mascot is the cutest little cat that like hangs out and like sleeps on your belly and sits in your desk at school. And when you get answers right, he goes, "We can do this!" Like he's the greatest. Morgana <laughs> is the greatest, one of the great pets in the history of video games. And I want to kill Teddy. I hate Teddy so much. He's such a perv. He's terrible. He's always trying to like hit on the girls. And also one other thing about persona four is like, I know golden came out in like 2010, 2011, but the original game was a PS two game. And boy, does it show it in the things that it sometimes does. It like takes some real nasty, like detours into homo and transphobia from time to time that I'm just like, mm. Ooh, persona four, you did not need to do this. But, uh, so if you're interested, don't play persona four, play persona five, just set aside the 70 hours. It's one of the greatest games I've ever played. Persona four, pretty good. Same game looks worse. Good to know. Good to know. I did see that they had come out on gate pass. So, I, I installed Persona 3 Portable, so we will see how that goes afterwards. That one has two uh, protagonists. You can play that one as a girl. Thank God I can finally play one of these video games as a woman. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I will be playing Persona 3 Portable probably after I take a little bit of a break from Persona 4 Royal or Persona 4 Golden. They always have these dumb subtitles when they're the re-releases. Um, yeah, so that's really the big thing I've been doing. I've been listening to a little bit of music. I found this new group uh, called Infinity Shred that is kind of a weird kind of post-rock, post-classical kind of group. Uses a lot of like symphonic stuff alongside really weird guitar sounds. And uh, I've been listening to a lot of them. It's cool. great writing music when I have to write for work because um, it's all instrumental and creepy and beautiful. Um, and nice. that's, that's kind of what I've been doing. So, uh, Very good. so before we get into the feature presentation, I wanted <laughs> to chat with you a little bit about something that came out yesterday or Tuesday, a couple days ago and kind of get your gut reaction on the trajectory of the James Gunn DC universe. Oh, for is there any new listeners news I didn't hear about. Oh, well, this is, oh, this is perfect. So yeah, I've been, Tuesday work has been busy and I've been in a bit of a bubble. I, I work Fair. and then I unplug from work. Fair. Well, uh, they announced their first 10 projects, Ooh. uh, which is a lot. Yeah, um, that's not ambitious. all of them, 
not all of them are theatrical releases. A lot of them are going to be HBO Max things. Um, and so the first one is actually due out. Uh, already, It's already in production. It's actually an animated show that's kind of a spinoff of Gunn's work on the Suicide Squad. It's called The Creature Commandos. Um, and it's an animated show that has like a bunch of like weird misfits in it. It looks like it seems boring, not interested. Um, mm-hmm. They're also doing a, a an Amanda Waller uh, HBO Max series. Uh, they got Viola Davis to come back and and make uh, a movie about Viola da- or about Amanda Waller. I would love for that to actually be good because I really like Viola Davis. I love Viola Davis. When she shows up in a thing, I go hell yeah. But she has been utterly underutilized in the DC universe as Amanda Waller. So, you know, and I'm just going to mention, I get the feeling that she's kind of supposed to be in the DC stuff, kind of the equivalent of the Nick Fury. It's Nick Fury, but with way more murder. That's who she is because she sends suicide squads to go die as long as they get the stuff done. But I'm with you. Uh, I think she's a great uh, actor, but I have been completely uninterested uh, in in all of the projects that have involved her thus far. Yeah, I'm. I've heard that Peacemaker show is really good, but like I would need to watch at least that Suicide Squad movie, if not both Suicide Squad movies, before I could watch it. And ain't nobody got time for that. Mm, no. Mm-mm. The okay. next one they've announced after that is Superman Legacy, which is being written uh, by James Gunn with the hope that he might direct it. Um, and it is not going to be an origin story. This is not Henry Cavill, though. Importantly, correct. this is not Henry Cavill. There are exactly two people or three people who have been explicitly said these people are not invited back in any way, shape, or form. Um, everyone else the door is kind of open for them to come back and pick up these roles again, even in this different kind of universe that they're building. But the three people that are incontrovertibly never coming back are Henry Cavill, Superman, Ben Affleck's Batman, and sorry, the rock black Adam. <laughs> so they are I'm all super in okay the garbage with that can. last one. <laughs> I am going to go, I don't know, maybe a controversial take, maybe not. I thought that Ben Affleck's Batman could have been actually great if he had had better writing and directing. 100%. I think Ben Affleck could have done a really good job with the old grizzled fed up with it all Batman. And 100%. I felt like he just like Henry Cavill were uh, disgracefully uh, misused by the people who were in charge of their projects, because I think they both had the potential to be fantastic casting. They just were used really bad. Yeah, they really were. So maybe this Superman movie will be good. I am of the, I think semi controversial opinion that they have made exactly one and one half good Superman movies. And they were both before I was even born. <laughs> I was going to say they they were many many years ago. They were both they both came out before I was born and Uh-huh. Christopher Reeve's 1978 Superman is probably still the apex of what that character could be and Superman 2 is also pretty tight. And That's everything else really since has been moments. 
everything else i have a lot of fondness for superman 3 because that was the one we had on vhs recorded off tv <laughs> so i saw it a lot when i was a kid richard Pryor's so great bad. the it's lady so getting bad. the lady getting sucked into the computer and turned into robo betty is terrible but uh i have a lot of fondness for it that scene where oh, yeah. he flies so fast that he goes backwards so all of the trees go back into the ground exactly where they were before epitome of stupid movie stuff uh-huh. yeah totally. um let's see what else there is a true detective type mystery show on hbo max called lanterns that is going to be uh-huh. about hal jordan the worst green lantern and john stewart the best green lantern okay I, I don't care about i need actually i i have opinions on who's the worst and who's the best but they're all they all belong in the garbage i don't care about a green lantern i'll never care about a green lantern garbage characters garbage powers um the next one is a deep cut that i think is going to be really bad but i think it's going to be ambitiously bad and that is the authority are you familiar with the uh (laughs) the superhero team the authority not at all the authority is they were they were part of the Wildstorm universe which was a different comics company that dc at some point bought and then they kind of incorporated all of those characters into the DC universe writ proper. But these were dudes in a separate universe entirely. And the authority is another in the long list of traditions of what if we made the justice league again, but put this spin on them. So the spin with the authority is that they go whole hog. They're like, Oh, this head of state is doing bad things. Guess we'll kill him. Oh, oh nice. the, this this corporation is polluting things. Guess we'll stop that and we'll throw the people doing the pollution into the sun. Like they are a brutal superhero team who gets the things done. Um, and they also the two leads, um, Knight. I don't remember their names. Night Stalker, I don't, who cares? The fake Batman and the fake Superman are gay and they're in love, Mm. which is a funny conceit, but also stupid. (laughs) Whatever. So all I can say is when you talk about the authority, I just think of Eric Cartman and that's all I can hear in my head. You should respect his authority. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one that is announced is an HBO Max show called Paradise Lost, which is themiscira before wonder woman boring um and then we finally get to the other big pillar of the dc universe batman oh and importantly the matt reeves uh Pat's batman movies are continuing and are not part of this universe they're letting them do their own weird beautiful camp thing still and it's the plan is for it to be a trilogy and then be out um and i'm excited for that because that movie ruled (laughs) But what I'm not excited for is a Batman movie called The Brave and the Bold about Damian Wayne. Because do you know who the worst Robin is? Damian Wayne. Mm, yeah. I hate Damian Wayne also. He's a terrible character. Batman's homicidal murder kid becoming Robin is not interesting and not good in my humble IMO. Uh so I could not care less about that. Honestly, I like Grant Morrison as a writer. I think Grant Morrison does a lot of really great work. Their Batman books are some of their very weakest work. I could not care less about Damien. He's a little son of a bitch. 
in the most derogatory way I can say, I hate him. Uh, so that's going to be bad. Um, they're also going to make a Booster Gold TV show. That'll be bad because who cares about Booster Gold? Hmm. And they're going to make a Supergirl movie called Woman of Tomorrow about how I think it's about how she's different than Superman because she wasn't raised by loving parents on Earth and instead is like traumatized by being trapped on a chunk of uh, Krypton floating through space. Sounds terrible. Based on a comic run by Tom King, who is a terrible comics writer, in my opinion. I know he's very popular. I know people really love his Miracle Man run, I know, or Mr. Miracle run. I know people really love his Batman run. I think he's garbage. I think he's a CIA bastard, and every comic he's written is garbage. So... I think this will probably be bad too because it's going to be something based on his works. Yeah. And then lastly, but not least, a Swamp Thing movie. Let's go. Let's party. Make it funny. Make it gross. Make it scary. Hmm. So that's a lot of announcements of a lot of garbage. At least I it sounds like garbage to me. not interested in a single thing you just announced or mentioned. Yeah. Maybe maybe interested in superman maybe Mm -hmm. maybe but probably not and everything else i'm terrible yeah it just doesn't even sound uh i don't know i i feel like i don't know it it kind of feels to me like james gunn is sort of going well look i took the guardians of the galaxy a group that the majority of people knew nothing about and turned them into this, you know, by many people merits of particular to the second movie, you know, throwing that aside, but at least people tend to think fondly for the most part of the guardians of the galaxy in the stuff. Yeah. And so it kind of feels like he's going, well, I'm going to do the same thing. Let me take some, more obscure, less well-known and I'll just, you know, throw my magic dust on them and, and people will love them. Yeah. And that may not at all be what he's going for, but that's the way it comes across to me based on what they've announced. And I guess the big issue for me is it still feels like they've got the same problem they had from the very beginning, which was setting up and saying, here's this big picture, all that we're going to do. And they hadn't put in the time or the work to get the buy-in. 100%. I mean, everything else aside, say what you will about the Marvel cinematic universe. And, I'm the first to admit that I'm a big fan. I am incredibly excited for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I think it looks super cool. But one of the things I really appreciate is the fact that we got Iron Man. And at the end is this little, oh, the Avengers. But it wasn't an announcement. And everybody I remember in 2008, everybody going, are they really going to try and do that? Uh Uh-huh. And then we had the Incredible Hulk and, you know, I, I don't, it's not a good movie. It's one of the worst Marvel movies, but it's better than a lot of DC movies still. But it, it, it was, 
it didn't take too long to see where they were going, but you could also see that there was a pretty significant amount of work being done to create this interconnected universe. Mm -hmm. And so by the time we got to the Avengers, we already knew these characters. We had some affinity for them and, and that made it kind of work. And I look at this and you mention all of these different things that are coming and I go, you haven't convinced me and, and I have not seen James Gunn's the suicide squad. And I have not seen peacemaker because all the other DC things I have tried to watch were so bad yeah. that I'm not convinced that I want to put in the time or energy when they haven't shown me they can do a good job yet. Uh, also the DC characters are worse. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm just a Marvel kid. I, it's your fault. You had them Marvel comics. And so I'm a Marvel guy. And, 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 you know, it's funny because Superman was always my favorite superhero until I discovered Spider-Man. That's because Spider-Man is better in every way, in every single way. And, and it was immediately, it was like, oh, Superman's cool, but no, give me, give me Spider-Man. What if he was a kid like me? Uh-huh. And had to figure out how to pay his rent and yeah. go to school and like doesn't have super speed. Can't just like, ooh, I'm in Mumbai saving these people else lives, but then I'm back in time for my coffee date with my on again, off again girlfriend slash wife, Lois Lane. Like yeah. Spider Man can't do that shit. He's And he he's, screws up all the he time. Can't. He just can't. So yeah, I, you know, I, I'm a Marvel person too, and I, I'll see what people say about some of these, and maybe then I'll decide to watch something, but not interested. Yeah. Even a I, little bit. I hate, hate that list. Swamp Thing <laughs> is a terrible character, and I'll probably watch it because... If it's a gory horror movie, give it to me, baby. But outside <laughs> of that, that would I be just a don't reason care. for me to skip it. <laughs> I just don't care. Just don't care. Anyway, don't uh, DC stay losing. Everyone who here's the thing: everyone who looked at the success and of the MCU, and we've talked about this, but it still remains true. Everyone who looked at the success of the MCU and then was like, "We're going to do the same thing," but didn't put in that work that you were just talking about, they've blown it every yeah. time. Everything. How's that dark universe coming? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've still never seen that, mu- that mummy movie. And I heard it was pretty okay. I heard that, you know, good old Tom Cruise does some real wild stunts in it, but I still haven't seen it. Cause who cares yeah. about the mummy? Yeah. They made no. a good mummy movie back in the nineties. They did. It made every, they made, made our entire, it made movie. my entire generation, disaster bisexuals because we looked at both of the leads of that movie and we were like (laughs) i don't know if i want to be them or if i want to do them but i want to be there you're like you've got on the one hand brendan fraser 90s brendan fraser and then you've got rachel vice i mean come on my entire generation is bisexuals because of that movie (laughs) and more power to that's fair that's i love it i love it for us millennials stay winning (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway 
let's talk about our uh, main event today. Um, <laughs> let's do. So, listeners, uh, I gave Peter a bunch of suggestions of things we could do. And one of the things I listed was a movie that I said is one of my all-time favorite movies. And then Peter was like, ooh, let's do that. And then I thought to myself, oh, no, he said yes to that. <laughs> I expected him to pick Hi-Fi Rush or Gundam. Uh, but you did not. You picked no, I did um, not. a film that uh, I hadn't seen in probably 15 years um, before I watched it last night. Um, but we are going to be talking tonight about the 1973 uh, Spanish film, The Spirit of the Beehive. Mm-hmm. And so before before we talk about what you thought of it and all that kind of stuff, I'm going to do a quick summary. This is a quick summary. Please, There's not a whole lot. Please do. There's not a whole lot to this movie. No, there's not. It's not. And yet there's so much to this movie. Uh, it's 1940. Civil War just ended in Spain. Franco has won. The dictatorship is in place. Um, a car comes through town with a mobile, a mobile cinema comes through town playing the movie Frankenstein. The like 1930s, uh, 1931 Bella Lugosi classic. Um, actually, it's Colin Clive. It's not Bella Lugosi. I'm wrong. Uh, no, it's Boris Karloff. Mixed them up. Mix up. Mixing them up. Sorry, Darren. I know Darren listens to this show, and he's a huge Universal Monster fan, so I apologize to him. Um, I clearly didn't know enough to uh, correct or comment in any way. So. Have you ever seen Have you ever seen that original Frankenstein from 31? Nope, I have not. That's freaking great. It's an incredible film. One of the greatest movies ever made. Um, anyway, these two girls go see it with the rest of their uh, town, basically um anna and isabel who are the two anna is our main character essentially isabel is her sister um and then we also see a fair amount of her parents uh anna is really affected by the film and kind of obsessed with it and with the monster in it um and so you know she asks isabel as they're laying in bed you know why did he kill the little girl and then why did they kill him and isabel was like oh they didn't he didn't kill the girl and the monster's not really dead it's just it's just pretend and then he's like well what does that mean and he's like well he's a spirit and you can go find him if you if you call if you close your eyes and you call to him he'll come um you find out that the uh girl's mother teresa um is writing clandestine letters to clearly a lover um who was a republican uh soldier um and then their older father is clearly like some sort of scientist. He has a lot of beehives and he's built into his house, this weird beehive. Um, and he's like teaching the girls about life and shows them like what kind of mushrooms they can eat. Isabel shows Anna this old, like busted down sheepfold um, out in the middle of nowhere and says, this is where the monster lives. So Anna keeps going back there. And one day she goes back there and there is a Republican soldier there who is is a fugitive, has escaped from the Francoist regime. Um, and so she goes home and gets a bunch of supplies for him, gets some shoes from her father, um, her father's coat, um, which has in it his pocket watch, which plays a tune when he opens it. Um, and she gives him those things. And then later that night, the Franco's police force come and they murder him. Um they contact Anna's father because they're like, 
he's got your stuff like everyone knows this is your pocket watch it makes this dumb song that's not a dumb song it's a beautiful song makes this song when you open it. it's clearly your pocket watch did you know this guy and he's like no um but then anna goes to visit the soldier finds him not there finds a bunch of blood stains on the ground her father is also there and he's like did you give this guy this stuff and she like takes off um and so then it kind of moves into the realm of allegory um, as she runs away, the villagers all mobilize to try to find her, which is very similar to the scene in Frankenstein when they mobilize the village to go fight the monster. She finds herself at this lake with all of these trees that doesn't look anything like what we've seen so far. Frankenstein's monster approaches her, kneels beside her, and then it just kind of cuts away. And then they find her the next morning, like in the normal empty fields of La Mancha and bring her home. And she's like kind of traumatized by this experience and like, won't speak, won't eat um, until finally she uh, goes to the window at night and calls to the spirit and says, yo soy Anna. And that's where the movie closes. So obviously a lot of symbol in this film, but before we talk mm-hmm. about that, uh, what did you think of this movie, Peter? <laughs> I think, and I've been trying to figure out how to say this since I watched this last night. I think that if I had a better fund of knowledge about the Spanish Civil War and what was going on in 1940, I think I would have appreciated this film more. That I is could tell that fair. there was a lot of symbolism, but I also knew that because I am unfortunately to my own detriment completely and utterly ignorant of that time period in Spain's history. I had absolutely no idea. So unfortunately for me, it was a very empty feeling movie because I knew that there was meaning and there was intent in everything that was happening but all of that intent just shoom, right over my head. I felt sure. very dumb watching this oh, movie. <laughs> I didn't want you to feel dumb. No, not in a bad way, but just in a way that I was like, oh, first of all, I'm going to say this is, for, for me, this was a film with a capital F. Like this is, this is, this film. is cinema. This is cinema. This is cinema. This is not, you know, this is like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, okay. And fortunately, because so I, I can still speak Spanish very, very well and I can understand it pretty good, but I don't understand it as well as I speak it anymore because I don't hear it very often. I really only have to listen to Spanish. I mean, it's really the same time I'm using it uh, when I'm talking to patients or their families who speak Spanish, which I have a fair number of them probably use it on, on average, at least once or twice a week. Sure. But, um, I don't hear Spanish that much. And so uh, it was definitely one of these things where it, it was a little more focusing, trying to catch what they're saying. And again, because I learned Spanish in Central America. Yeah. The, the theta just throws me off constantly. And so, yeah, it was, 
it was an interesting experience. But again, I really feel like my lack of knowledge translated into not being able to appreciate the movie uh, in a way that someone who is not ignorant of these things could appreciate it much more. That's very fair. I, uh, and I admit that I watched this movie for the first time for a class. Like I watched it in my, uh, you know, Spanish civil war class when I was an undergrad. Um, and I found it utterly captivating. Um, and, like I say, I, I don't think I'd seen it since probably 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. I have a copy of it on DVD because a few, a couple of years ago in the language department at the university, they were like divesting of a bunch of the DVDs and they were supposed to either go to um, the surplus or faculty were supposed to keep them in their office. But when you're the person who's sorting the DVDs, sometimes you can just steal some. Uh, so I stole that copy of spirit of the beehive because I was like, I don't want this to just go to the surplus and get sold for 25 cents to someone who's just buying every DVD in this big box. Like I will appreciate this movie. So it was really interesting to watch it again because I still, I was still enraptured and captivated with it. And it still remains in my top three movies of all time, which I admit Hmm is a weird list. My top three movies are this ghost in the shell and Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. So I get it. It's a, it's a weird (laughs) mix, but (laughs) this is the artsy fartsy of those three films. And you know, ghost in the shell a little bit. We talked about it like almost Mm -hmm. a year ago at this point. And at some point I'll probably make you watch Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla with me. Cause I believe you have that big criterion collection of Showa era Godzilla movies. No, I do not. Well, you should buy that. That's a great deal. You get all 15 Showa-era Godzilla movies in one big old box set. It's beautiful. We'll watch it at some point. It's one of the worst and best Godzilla movies ever made. Um, but yeah, this movie just really... I I love it because of the way that Erise, the director, Victor Erise, the way that he leaves the camera and lets things happen both in and out of frame, both in and out of focus, and just, like, lets you sit in the moment. Like, I'm thinking of, you know, there's the scene where the wife is pretending to be asleep as the husband is coming Mm -hmm. to bed, and you sit there with the camera trained on her face for, like, two minutes while you just hear the husband preparing for bed as she pretends to be asleep because she doesn't want to speak to her, you know, much older... uh, spouse who it sounds like she doesn't have a very happy relationship with and she's writing love letters to her you know secret republican boyfriend um or the scene where they go to the sheep the sheepfold for the first time and like anna the main character just like stands in the middle of the shot for Mm -hmm. three four minutes without without the shot cutting without the shot moving while isabel like runs off and is like you know, looking in and like throwing rocks into the well that's in the mm-hmm. distance, like far in the shot. And you just like sit there with Anna and you, and it builds in you as the viewer, this like interest and also hor- like terror. And like, you can feel like the, the fear that she's feeling in that moment. 
and like you sit in that fear with her but also the interest and you're like come on you gotta go you gotta go see what's in there and she's also saying that to herself but she never says that in the movie because anna is the quietest creepiest most haunted child i've ever seen in a movie almost Mm -hmm. like she is so haunted and like her eyes are the size of dinner plates and like she just sits there in silence and it's a masterful performance from a child actor while like also not feeling like a performance feeling like real in a certain way you know yeah and uh yeah it's I was so excited to watch this again. And I, it was so funny as I was watching it, uh, you know, my partner watched it with me and she quickly fell asleep and then she woke back up and she's like, what is happening? Why didn't you tell me this is like a psychological horror film? Because she like woke up near the end and I was like, it's not a psychological horror film. And she's like, it's a psychological horror. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's just a drama. And then she woke up and she was like, Oh, Peter's going to hate this. And I was like, yeah, probably, but I'm sure having a good time. so here's one thing i this is a public service announcement and i don't care if this isn't done legal or whatever but hey guess what everybody this movie in its entirety 1080p blu-ray rip up on youtube that's when i watched it i mean you watched a better cut than me then because i had the dvd yeah no this was a blu-ray rip according to the uh, thing so well, it is, I, you know, I just, I, I am a person who knows a fair amount about the Spanish Civil War. Um, you know, I have taken a few classes on it. Until I went to grad school, I thought that's what I wanted to, you know, write my dissertation about, was specifically this generation of authors who were all really influenced. They're called the Generación de, de 98, the generation of, of, of 1898. And they were really influenced by the Spanish wars and the end, like the definitive end of Spanish empire, which like had been in decline for centuries. But like when they had a real quick war with America and America was like, uh, screw you very much. Puerto Rico, ours, Cuba free, the Philippines, ours, uh, that like broke Spain as a country in a lot of ways. And a lot of really stellar artists came out of that in the late twenties and, and mid to the mid thirties. Um, and then in 1936, the Spanish civil war started, which was, well, and the other important thing is like Spain had set up like a Republican, uh, in like, not like American Republican Republic. They were La República Española the Spanish Republic and they had taken out uh, uh, the king. There was no more king. It was like a quasi socialist society that they were building after the um, uh, constitution of 1929. So like there was a lot of movement happening and like the state growing quickly to try to support the people during the, the great depression. And then what happened? Well, one of the generals in the Spanish army decided no me gusta. And so that was how Francoist, the Francoist dictatorship happened um, because they suddenly left and, and they started attacking the Republicans and basically threw a coup. Um, and then for three years, there was a civil war between the nationalists um, and the second Spanish Republic. 
um, until in 1939, the uh, the Spanish Republic was officially defeated, and the Francoist dictatorship started. And Franco Francisco Franco was the dictator, the caudillo, until 1975, till he died. So this was like full blown fascist state for four decades. Wow. And so that is the backdrop to everything that's happening here is that this is set the year after the Spanish fascist state officially like, you know, solidified their power. That's why they chase down and kill the Republican fugitive. That's why the wife is like furtively hiding her letters in my wife's favorite, my wife's favorite scene when there is just like a male slot on the side of the train car. And my wife Mm -hmm. was like, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen because my wife loves mail and mailboxes. (laughs) Um, If she could be a mail delivery person, she'd do it in a second. She'd love that shit. She loves it. Um, so she was really excited. That was her favorite part is, oh, my God, they just built it right into the side, and then you put your letter in, and it goes right in. Oh, that's so cool. And I was like, I mean, I guess that's pretty cool. That's not really what I'm into, but I'm glad you like it. Um, <laughs> but so that is really, like, where this film is situated and where this film finds itself. And it was actually made before the dictatorship fell because yeah. it was made in 73, and the dictatorship ended in 75 and during the dictatorship there were censors like censorship was huge during the dictatorship there were official censors that had to review literally every bit of cultural production novels poems you know uh, films m- uh, uh, music everything had to go through the uh, censors so what Bunuelo or what uh, Erise had to do is swing for the fences when it came to the symbolism of this film you know he could not say outright man this stuff is fucked you know he had to Mm -hmm. hide it and so that is why i think part of this that's part of why this film is so focused on symbolism and on the family as microcosm of the state but anyway i really like this movie And one of the things that I think is most interesting about this movie is its cultural footprint, because not that many people have seen this movie. It is not a very well-known film, um, especially not outside of Spain. Most, most Spanish film, you know, uh, critics and scholars think that easily top 10 movies ever, probably the best movie to come out of Spain in the seventies. Um, it's one of the like great films from Spain, but like how many movies have you seen from Spain, Peter? It is not this. It is not that I can a, think a, of. Yeah, it is not a country that is really known for huge film production. You know. Yeah. Do you ever see Vanilla? Did you ever see the um, uh, Cameron Diaz, uh, Tom Cruise movie Vanilla Sky? I did not. I remember it, but I did not ever see it. Well, if you ever want to, don't watch it. Watch the original. It's called Abrir los Ojos, and it is a Spanish film. And they literally almost do a shot-for-shot remake in English. Um, which is not as good. It's still good. Vanilla Sky is a real weird thriller. Um, but Abre los Ojos, Open Your Eyes, the original is even better. But what I think is interesting about El Espíritu de la Colmena, The Spirit of the Beehive, which is this film, is the way that it has influenced things that have come since 
that have become much bigger things. Because this is one of Guillermo del Toro's biggest influences as a filmmaker. Which you maybe think to yourself, Guillermo del Toro makes like horror movies and mm-hmm. action movies. So why is he so into this movie? Well, because he is also interested in the Spanish Civil War. And like this movie is like, I, I see the bones of this movie in literally everything that Del Toro does in Pan's Labyrinth. Have you ever seen Pan's Labyrinth? I have not. It's incredible. You, I really would recommend that too. It is stunning. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of those movies that like did really well. I think it was a nominated for, you know, an Academy Award for Best Picture. Yeah. Um, you know, it won a bunch of stuff for like, you know, set direction, cinematography, makeup, which it should have because the creature effects are incredible in the film. Um, but it also is about a young girl in the middle of the Spanish Civil War. But because it's also made in 2006 by a Mexican director, even though it's made in Spain, it's he is a Mexican director and, you know, has Warner Brothers money and Warner Brothers support, it can be a lot more explicit in ways that spirit of the beehive has to be implicit because of the censorship regime because of all those sorts of things um and that film is set in 1944 franco spain um and i see the bones of spirit of the beehive in everything pan's labyrinth does it feels like del toro watched spirit of the beehive and said what if i made one of those but i had doug jones come be a real scary creatures which is what he does Hmm. and uh I just really, I, I think that Del Toro is one of our really great living directors right now. And so to see how much this film, Edise's work as a whole, but this film specifically really influence him, uh, it's really interesting because it, he's able to take a lot of those ideas that really do simmer, that really do just kind of like make you sit in them and think about them and, you know, turn them up to 11 in a lot of ways. Yeah, it was, like I say, it was a very interesting experience and one that I did find myself sort of lamenting that I did not have a a better understanding of both the setting and kind of what had happened in Spain both before and after the time period that the movie was set in. Sure. And I do really think that if I had a better had I had more knowledge, more understanding of that, I, I think I would have appreciated this quite a bit more. That's fair. But it was but, weird. Uh, it's real weird. I'll be the first person to say, I, like I say, I still think it's one of my all-time favorite films, but it is very, it's not very friendly to you as the viewer. And that's kind of the point, is you are supposed to feel that emptiness and that um, isolation and alienation that Anna is feeling. I think that he has specifically built this film to make you as the viewer feel what Anna feels, which is alienation, isolation, hurt, and emptiness. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. And it definitely conveys quite a bit of that. Also, can I ask a question? Yes. How does beekeeping let you have such a bomb ass house? It's got to be family money, bro. 
It's got to be family money. Because here's the, the thing. The first time this he is, walks up to this house, and I'm like, looking at this massive building that the, that the dad's walking to. I'm like, is this like a church? Is this a community building? Is this whatever? And then he walks in, and he just kind of walks through, and he yells at the help. You know, he's like, ah, oh, where's my wife? You know, and I was like, oh, that is, Wow. Didn't know that beekeeping was such a lucrative thing back in the 1940s. It's not. That's family money. But, <laughs> but, and I think that this is also one of those things that is symbolic in the film. How empty is that big house? Yeah, very empty. It is also empty like the landscapes around it because that old money is gone. You know, like they are scraping by still. Like they still have the help because you still got to be upper class, but like it does not feel like this is a rich family. This feels like it is a formerly rich family, and the, the and they just like the country, just like the the countryside that you see in La Mancha. This is a place in decline. This is a yeah. place that is falling apart. You know, like the the house has these incredible windows everywhere that have beehive built into them like hexagonal like beehive shapes built into every window in the whole house and but if you look carefully a lot of them got a lot of them have gotten broken and there is a mm. lot of empty spots where glass should be because like i say this is clearly a thing in decline and that is what the whole country is at that point this is a country that is isolated alienated you know around them world war ii is popping off but like spain wasn't involved in world war ii because they had just had a terrible uh civil war that the fascists won so like italy and germany are like hey keep kicking over there franco we love you we sent a bunch of our bombers to blow up guernica and make one of the most famous paintings ever to exist in the history of the world like that's because german planes came and dropped bombs on the town of Guernica so like Germany and Italy were super cool with what Franco was doing but like the the thing about Spain is that ever since 1598 it has been a culture in decline when they lose that big battle at sea against England it's game over for Spain and it has just been centuries of decline since and that's not really the case anymore. Things have really changed in the post-Franco era after he dies in 1975 and they reinstate a Spanish Republic. And, you know, there's a lot of revivification of Spain as a country. You know, I lived in Spain for about six months. I went mm -hmm. to school over there um, and I loved it. It's a, it is a country that I have a lot of love in my heart for. Um, and that's why I wanted to study Spanish literature until I got to grad school and realized that colonial Spanish America is way cooler than Spain. Sorry, not sorry, Spain. Um, but, you know, this is, you see in that house, you see in that town, like the way that the schoolhouse looks from outside and you're like, this is their school. Yeah. And like, this is set, this film is set in 1940. What did an American city in 1940 look like? No, I mean, this whole thing looked like, um, God, I don't know, like the late 1700s, early 1800s. I mean, it feels like a place out of time. Yeah. The, the streets are just dirt and rock. There's, they're not paved. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a train, the mom rides around on a bicycle, but then when the dad goes off for something, he hops in this terribly rickety looking wagon carriage drawn by one horse. Yeah. You know, it's the only car, the only motorized vehicle other than the train that we see is the traveling cinema that comes brings the movie at the beginning. And it's not from there. It's specifically and explicitly it's not from Castilla. Like, and that's the other thing is this movie is set in like the center of Spain, like traditional Spain, the most traditional Spain. It is set in Castilla right outside of La Mancha, which is where fucking Don Quixote is from. So like mm-hmm. middle of the country, the most stereotypical. And it is just like in a state of like squalor. It almost feels like, especially for being 1940, but like, Part of that is they just got out of a war. Part of that is Spain was always such a an agrarian um, society that it just did not have that level of like growth and and uh, you know technological advancement that you see in other parts of of Europe or 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 Asia or anywhere. Like the streets aren't paved. It's 1940 and the streets aren't paved in your city. What is going on? Mm-hmm you have a lady come out and like blow on her horn and then be the town crier about the movie that's playing tonight. And like, that's just normal. So like, it feels unstuck from time in a way. Yeah. No, which is all good points. Exactly. What happened to the country until Franco died and they were able to like try to salvage something after 40 plus years of being under dictatorship. Hmm. So anyway, I, I'm glad that you at least found it intriguing. I'm glad that you didn't oh, yeah, hate it. Definitely. No, I did not hate it. Cause I really, that is really what Cassie said. She's like, Oh, he's going to hate this. And I was like, <laughs> well, probably, but I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hate it. I can confidently say that. And to I, anybody I, who's I interested, watch it again, personally, that's fair. but I did that's not fair. hate it. To anyone who's interested, it, A, it's on YouTube. B, it is a tight 97 minutes. It is not a three-hour epic, so that is great. Love for movies to end yeah. quickly. Yeah. Still, Although still feels long. Still feels long. I was going to say, there's with were this film made with modern sensibilities, it would be about 45 minutes. Yeah, it would be an episode of a TV show. Because like you said, there are so many just lingering scenes where like nothing is explicitly happening. And that's very intentional, very much on purpose, but you just, I don't think people today would, would make that decision. We yeah. Have too it's much ADD brain going on or something, but yeah. And, and even though I feel like movies are much longer than they used to be, they just have, like you said, so much going on. Yeah. They're just stuffed in a way that this movie is simply not. This movie is as empty as poor Anna's life is. <laughs> That's such a happy thought. <laughs> I mean, but she is rough. super creepy. She is super She's creepy. So good. And I don't think that her sister Isabel is any better. No, they're both Isabel creepy. Isabel has as hell. like super crazy eyes and like some of the things she says to Anna, you're just like the fuck? Like really? Or like when she fakes her death 
Yeah. And honest totally. and honest response is not to like really try that hard to find someone. Like she's so just like traumatized by being in this place she lives and like dealing with the world that she lives with in. Like her sister is pretending to be dead on the floor and she just like sits next to her and like tries to move her hands for a little bit and then just like walks away. Well, she goes to find the help. Yeah, I mean she goes and looks for Milagros, who is then not there. Mm-hmm. And then and she then, comes back and then Isabel, and Isabel scares her scares the shit out of her by dressing up in dad's <laughs> beekeeping clothes and attacking her from behind. Right. Anyway. Yeah, this is weird. This is a weird it's, movie. It's real weird, <laughs> but I just really love it. I think it's really something special. And so thank you for sharing it with me because I really, I have a lot of fondness for it and I'm very happy to see that for me, at least it did hold up um, in the way did. that I remembered it holding up. I'm, I'm glad that it did. Yeah. Like I say, it was interesting. Well, it's definitely going to be interesting uh, contrasted with what we'll be doing in two weeks, which is watching <laughs> X-Men Dark Phoenix, which maybe There's is also probably... about the emptiness of, of a young girl's heart. I don't know. <laughs> I don't either because I didn't really pay that much attention the one time I watched it. But I guarantee you, I think it's actually going to be more difficult to watch than this movie was for me. Well, I guess we'll see. I am expecting to have a terrible time, but a lot of fun talking about it. As am I. So we will be back um, in two weeks to talk about that. Um, But in the meantime, uh, if you have any, uh, you know, anything you'd like to share with us, you can reach out to us at feedback at the middle of culture.com. Feel free to rate and review on the podcast platform of choice. Um, especially iTunes if you use Apple Podcasts because that is how people find the show. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, like I say, thanks for watching this with me. Um, And I'm glad that I could share it with you. I'm glad that you did. So until next time. Yeah, we'll talk to you all later.